It is good to see everyone here today. Really good to see you. I, I, I think we're all alike in a lot of different ways. I, I don't know about you, but um, growing up in, in elementary school and high school, weren't there certain subjects in school, classes that you'd like loved and you excelled in, and others that you like dreaded big time? Yeah, that, that was how it was with me. I, I always excelled in the, um, in the reading history area, not in the math science area. I was one of those guys, you know. In my school growing up, we had, we had reading circles. Anybody remember reading circles? Well, in, in my school, we had the, the blue birds and the red birds and the yellow birds. And everybody knows the blue birds were the good readers and the red birds were the okay readers and the yellow birds were the struggling readers. Well, I, just, I worked hard at that. I wanted to be in the blue bird. I got in the blue bird circle. I was thrilled about it. But then in the fourth grade, my teacher decided we were going to have math circles. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was going to be bluebird, redbird, and yellowbird again. I want all of you to know math was just not my thing. Now, I did okay with basic arithmetic, you know, um, addition, subtraction, which we used to call takeaway. Does anybody remember that? <laughs> takeaway, yeah. And, and I learned my multiplication tables because my incredible mom with her flashcards was intense. Okay, I learned them. But when it came to long division with a remainder, whoa. Let me just tell you, I didn't make the bluebird math circle. I didn't make the redbird math circle. I didn't make the yellowbird math circle. I think mine was the yellowish with a broken wing circle. That's where I was. Well, similar to my story is a guy named Gary. Gary is a, uh, someone that You'll know who I'm talking about in just a few minutes. But Gary was like me. Math was not his thing. And it haunted him all the way up through high school. He was a senior in high school and had already flunked um, uh, one of the math courses. I forgot. Geometry, I think it was. And he knew he had to take it in order to graduate. And there he was in a class that he was clueless. And, and, and he knew he might not graduate. He was already sort of pegged as the, the, the failure in math by the teachers. They, they knew that about him. So there he was on the back wall with all the anti-math people, knowing I may not graduate from high school. But on a Monday morning, everything changed for him. A substitute teacher came in that day and announced that the, the original teacher was, had been transferred to a different school and that the substitute was now going to be the permanent teacher. And the substitute teacher said, it was an incredible thing he said, he said, there is no reason why everyone in this class can't pass this course. There's no reason. He blessed him with that statement. Then he said, the truth is, if anybody in this class fails, then I failed. That changed his life. I mean, that woke him up big time. I want you to know that Gary, because the teacher would stay afterwards and work with the students they needed to after school. And, and even on Saturdays sometimes, the teacher would come up and work with them and then maybe play ball with them or something afterwards. I want you to know that Gary made an A in math for the first time in his life that year and graduated high school. It's further than that. He went to college and became a math minor. That's crazy, isn't it? That's a true story. And then later on, he became a psychologist, a Christian counselor. He wrote a book called The Five Love Languages and 40 other books. 
because a substitute teacher turned the tables and gave a blessing instead of a curse to him. Changed his life. That's incredible. We've been talking about the blessing. That's been our, our series. So what is the blessing? Here's the definition. Unconditional love and acceptance communicated. The blessing, the way we're supposed to speak, especially to our family, our children, parents, uh, to, to those people that we, we come close to, we bless them. That's what we're talking about. We've been talking weekly about some of the different expressions of the blessing. And every week we've taken one, let's see, meaningful touch, spoken message, communicating high value, picturing a God-designed future. That was last week. It was incredible. And today we're going to talk about a genuine commitment to fulfill the blessing. By genuine commitment, I'm talking about really a better word would be an active commitment. An active commitment, not just to say the words of a blessing, but to follow up just like Gary Smalley's teacher did. He didn't just say you're going to pass. He got in there and helped them do it. And that, to me, is an active commitment, a genuine active commitment. You say, well, well, you know, we do that just by praying for folks. Yeah, we do. We do. It's so easy to say, hey, praying for you, brother. It's a little bit more difficult to pray for them. Have you ever been on Facebook and some, you know, you're, you're going through Facebook and all of a sudden somebody goes, hey, pray, pray. I need prayer warriors right now. They sent my mom to the hospital. I need prayer. And it's so easy to go praying and then keep looking at Facebook. God convicted me of that. It, it, it's not prayer without prayer. It's not intercession if you don't pray. It's easy to say the words. Really what we're trying to say is, yeah, keep giving me information and I'll feel bad for you. That's not prayer. That's not an active commitment. That's a passive commitment. And that's the truth. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to talk about what it means after the words of the blessing are spoken. After the words have been spoken. We're not called to give blessings. We're called to live blessings. Not called to give them but to live them. So today, what I want to do is I want to, we're going to be brief. I'm going to give you two very simple ways to have an active commitment in the blessing, okay? Uh, a way that you know that God can use you to bless, and you're the primary user that God uses, but it's going to be different from that. Here's the first one. Are you ready? Connect them to God. Now, God may use you, but it's not about connecting them to you. It's about connecting them to God. You see, a, a, a blessing is not between two people. A blessing is between God and that person. And you're just the one that speaks the incredible words of blessing and truth from God. One night in the scripture we read, Jacob, who was running from his brother Esau, remember he had stolen the blessing from his brother. And Jacob was running from him for his life and he was in the middle of the desert, and he laid down to sleep one night. And this is what happened. God came to him. It's in Genesis 28. This is what it says. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Behold, I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I spoke to you. Here's, here's what he was saying. He was saying, 
Jacob, buddy, Grandpa Abraham is gone. Your daddy, Isaac, is gone. But I'm still here. And I'm the one the blessing comes from, not Abraham. It's not Abraham's blessing. It's not Isaac's blessing. It's God's blessing. And I'm still here. I'm the one doing it. It's important because we often become dependent upon people for our spiritual life, other people. Get phone calls. Hey, Pastor Mark, what do you think? I don't mind getting phone calls and helping folks. But when I feel like somebody is simply seeing how close they can get to me to know what I think about something, and that becomes God's word and ministry in their life, I've gone too far. I can bless them, but I can only bless them with my words. God is the one that blesses them supernaturally. We have to learn to say to people that we bless, especially our children. We have to learn to say, look, someday, sometime, there's going to be a circumstance in which I can't or I won't be able to help you. I may be in bad health or I may be broke or I may not know the answer or may be inconsistent and not be noticing what's going on in your life or whatever. But I want to tell you, you got to connect to God. And I bless you and I bless you to connect you with him, not to connect you with me. Because the scripture says, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. Look. I would say to my child, there are going to be hurts that I can't heal. There are going to be needs that I can't meet. There are going to be circumstances that I can't fix. So you got to know your answer's in God. Uh, there's, a, there's an evangelist, a Scottish evangelist. Some of you might remember the Camerons. Uh, Philip Cameron, he had a traveling group of Scottish people who got all in their kilts and they'd go church to church and minister. Back in the 70s, they had come to the United States and were taking their first tour through America. And uh, their bus broke down. And Philip Cameron uh, got on the phone and made a very expensive long-distance phone call to Peterhead, Scotland, to talk to his father who was in charge of the ministry, Simon Peter Cameron. And he said, Dad, the bus is broken down. What am I going to do? And I love it. Old Simon Peter Cameron said, Philip, my son, I think you've called the wrong father. (laughs) I'm in Scotland, boy. I can't help you. (laughs) He knew he had to connect his son with the source. Daddy wasn't the source. The God that Daddy taught him about was the source. I remember very vividly something that happened to me in 1975. I was in college, and during spring break, Several of us decided to go to Orlando to a Jesus festival. Uh, It was was incredible. It was sort of Christian Woodstock without drugs and naked people. You know, it was was awesome. Christian uh, Jesus festival. Well, uh, my friend and I picked up a guy that had uh, gotten in touch with us and said, I want to go, but I don't have a ride. So we went to his house. He he lived near Georgia Line, and we, we picked him up. And uh, we went out to, out to his car, and he came out with his bag, and his father came out with him and put the bag in the trunk. And then I watched as his father laid his hands on his son, and he just blessed him and placed him into the hands of the Heavenly Father and just gave him this incredible blessing. And the son hugged his dad thanked him and got in the car, and we're driving down the road. And I said, hey, man, I, that, was, that was incredible what your dad did. And he goes, oh, Yeah. He said, my dad does that every time I go overnight anywhere. My dad does that. I will not leave home without it. I was wowed by that. Do you see what the father did? 
The Father connected him to the Heavenly Father. You're, you're, out of, you're out of my sight, son, so I'm giving you to your real Father. And he placed it. Every time we pray for someone, every time we take somebody to the throne of God, every time you pray for your child, every time you go and pray for them, you're reinforcing the idea, your source is not me, it's God. That's so important in the blessing. That is active commitment. Uh, there's a, there's an, uh, a time we, we see in the Scripture that it goes a little further. And this is why I want to bring you to the second point. The second point is this. Commit yourself to their best interest. Uh, let me explain what I mean by that. That means that it's going to take some time and energy and thought process if you're going to bless somebody, you're going to need to remain in their life, not just as an intercessor, but you, it's not a matter of I'm going to speak the word over you and then I'm out of there. No, 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 no. You make a commitment to someone. You commit yourself to their best interest. Let me tell you how it was in the scripture. The Bible tells us in Genesis 49, 28, look at this. Jacob had given, uh, had called his 12 sons in to give them a blessing before he died. And Jacob's 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel, they were there. And he began to bless them. Look at what it says in verse 28. All of these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving them each a blessing appropriate to him. He didn't just say, all right, line up, boys. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Blessing, blessing. He didn't do that. He spoke to each one of them, and he made it appropriate. For instance, he said to Judah, you are a lion. That's where we get the lion of Judah. You're a lion. You're a leader. You're a king. The king, the Messiah, will come from you. He said to Naphtali, you're a deer set free. Be careful, Naphtali. Don't become, uh, don't become lazy. Be careful. There are those out to kill you. He said to Reuben, you're a river, a raging river. Don't get out of the banks. He said to Levi, you're good with a sword. Do not let your anger control you. It's incredible. The blessing he gave them was unique to each one of them. I recently read a story about a lady in Arizona, a 72-year-old lady, and she had, um, if you go into her house, she has a lot of books on these shelves. And the top shelf of this giant a wall was filled with books. The top shelf was filled with books about counseling and psychology. And that was because one of her sons became a counselor and a psychologist, and she read those books and found out everything she could so that when her son came home, she could talk to him and, and bless him and encourage him. On the second shelf was a whole bunch of books about, they were medical books, books about specifically about genetics, because her other son was a genetics uh, researcher, and she learned all she could about genetics, that they would have conversations because she cared so much about the commitment he had made. The third shelf was filled with magazines about uh, heavy machinery because her oldest son was a heavy machine operator, and she could talk with the best of them. You know what she did? She became a student of her own children. She knew enough about the kids to know what their hearts 
said, what their desires were, what their future wanted to be. And she wanted to not just be a part of paying for their education. She wanted to be the encouragement all the days of their life. That's called an active commitment to a blessing. That's an active commitment. Maybe we should start by just listening to our children, listening to what God's doing in their life so that we can become that kind of person. See, our success as a, as a leader, as a blesser, as a parent is tied to what happens to our children. It is tied. It's sort of like Gary Smalley's math teacher. Well, if, if you fail, then I fail. In other words, the best thing you can do is model the blessing in front of your children by the way you live your life. Otherwise, it's confusing. For instance, a father can bless his, his son, bless him with wonderful words. But if he comes in every day after that belittling him, using profanity around him, acting like words don't matter, that child is confused. It's true. What about priorities? It's, it's a priority. Often we, we have baby dedications here on the stage. Parents will come and say, we're going to offer these kids to the Lord, and we're going to raise these kids up in the name of the Lord. And we all pray, and we all rejoice with them in the birth of their child. But if that parent says, our oh, church isn't that important, we're, we're going to do sports all the time, or we're, it's just not that big a deal, they just undercut the blessing that they try to put on their child. The active commitment is to be one of those people that had their kids in the house of God. And our actions. Let me tell you, my dad was one of those action kind of guys. <laughs> I remember when I was 15 years old, uh, a 15-year-old know-it-all, uh, I, I uh, was going to go to the Valentine banquet my church had, and so I had asked this girl to go on the val to the Valentine banquet with me, Sheila. I was asking her to go, and, and I was excited, and I, I went to my dad and said, Dad, you know, I've got my driver's permit. I, can I drive when, when we go to the, to the banquet? He goes, sure, sure, I'll let you drive, and I'll sit in the back seat. I said, no, no, I mean, I mean like, can I just drive just me and Sheila? Can, can I do that? He goes, no, son, you don't have your driver's license. I said, well, Dad, all the other, all the other guys, are, their dads are letting them do it. And I went, you know, went off with that. And we had this little... Thing. And he said, son, you're not driving until you have your driver's license. And I said, why? I don't understand. I don't understand. It's not fair. Why do other dads do it, but you won't? And he says, I guess I love you more than they love their sons. I just remember going, I need to shut up now. I, am, I lost this battle. That was how it was with my dad. Because his blessing over me was, I want you to do what's right. And I'm going to do what's right to show you how to do what's right. Somebody asked me recently in a Master's Commission conference, they asked me, they said, uh, I've, I've been a Master's Commission director a long time, and I, they said, what is your best advice that you can give? I, I said, what do you mean? To anybody, what's your best advice? And I want to tell you what my best advice is. My best advice, I, this is for parents, this is for teenagers, this is for anybody. You ready? Live for your great-grandchildren. Live for the benefit of your great-grandchildren that you may never see. Look at what God says in Deuteronomy 5. Listen carefully. 
I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Yes, the way I live my life, the example that I live, the choices I make, the sins that I commit are the sins that I choose not to commit matter in the lives of the generations coming after us. They matter immensely. We call it on the negative sense, we call it generational sins or generational curses or generational strongholds. But on the positive side, it's a generational blessing. And that's what I want to talk about. A generational blessing to your family and your children and their children and their children. Yes, that you may never see, but you'll bless them. Here's, here, this is where, where it hits. There are things I won't do. There are lines I won't cross because I want my great-grandchildren to inherit light from me, not darkness. It's far more important than leaving them with empty words or a wad of cash. Because I promise you, if you leave them a wad of cash, it ain't going to last to your great-grandchildren. It's going to be gone long before it gets to them. But I'll tell you what will be there. A legacy of someone who lived a life and who blessed their children and their children's children and their children's children. It's it's a legacy that will give light to them for generations to come. That's my best advice. Live for your great-grandchildren. It'll change the way you live today. It'll change the choices you make today, and it will change your family forever. I really believe that with all my heart. I have an incredible cousin I want to tell you about. He's my first cousin. His name is Lee Carpenter. He may be listening online today. Lee Carpenter um, played football at Auburn in the early 1970s. He, uh, for those of you that are Auburn folks, he was part of the Amazons team in 1972. Lee Carpenter, um, incredible guy, got married, had two children. And while his children were under 10 years old, he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And if you know about ALS, it's a degenerative disease, a very fast-moving one that eventually takes all use of your body from your nose down leaves you only with the eyes and the brain. And a lot of people, they, they, they resist going to a ventilator to live their lives. They say, I don't want to live my life on a ventilator. I understand. But Lee had to come to a place where he made that choice. He and his wife, Gail, a saint she is, they got together and tried to decide what they want to do. And Lee said, you know, I committed to raise my boys right I committed my life to raise them to adulthood. I need to raise my boys, so I need a ventilator. He's been on that ventilator for 34 years. During that time, Lee never missed a ball game, albeit in a wheelchair or in, or in some kind of a medical uh, surrounding. He never missed a ball game. He watched his kids graduate from high school, from college. Yes, and just recently watched some of his grandchildren graduate from college. Now, if you want to know what an active commitment is, 
That's an active commitment. It's a very difficult life. Not an easy life at all. But he did it because he made a pledge. He made a commitment to his children and to his children's children and to their children. If you want to know what an active commitment is, it's Lee Carpenter. Thank you, Lee. If you're listening today, thank you. If you want to know where active commitment really comes from, it comes from our Heavenly Father. Let me ask you this. When you fail, does God fail you? Does God give up on you when you give up? If you walk away from God, does God just ignore you? No. God's active commitment He made to you when He created you will always be there. What I want to do today is I want to I want to give you a blessing that doesn't come from me. It comes straight from God's Word, from the teachings of God's Word. And I'm going to ask, I want to ask you all, if you will, to stand right where you are. And those that are, that are watching online, you may want to stand where you are. And I'm going to ask all of you, just hold your hands out like, Lord, I'm going to receive this. If you just hold your hands out, and I want you, as I, as I pronounce this over you today, I want you to say, Lord, you're my source, and I receive this from you today as your ongoing commitment, your active commitment to me. Are you ready? Here's what God says to you today. I know the hairs on your head. I fearfully and wonderfully made you. I lived for you. I died for you. I pray for you at my Father's right hand right now. I gave the Holy Spirit to you. I wrote you an entire book. I gave you the family of God. I made all of creation to reveal myself to you. I am your creator, your provider, your healer, your peace, your shepherd, your protection. I am your father. I am your friend. I will finish the work I started in you. I am preparing a place for you in eternity so that you will always be with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that we receive right now that active commitment that you've pledged to us. Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice online or in this church building who's never accepted you as Savior, Father, I pray right now they will open up their heart and say, Jesus, come into my heart, save me, and take my sins away. I give you my life because of what you did on the cross. 
Lord, anyone in this room that has taken you for less than who you are, Lord, right now I pray they say to you, oh Lord, let me know your presence like I've never known it before. Let me come close to you and live my life close to you to be a blessing. Now, Father, I commit everyone under the sound of my voice into you, the source of all blessing. In the name of Jesus. And everyone said, 